0: Good morning. Thank you for joining me, Sherry Jefferson on Live with Sherry and Sherry Speaks. As we discuss a special episode today entitled Eight-Year-Old Child Allegedly Kills Infant Sister. This story has received a lot of national and international attention. In fact, I first learned about the story through the Guardian newspaper in the United Kingdom. So that being said... One of the things I noticed as I reviewed and researched the information that has currently been made available through various networks, newspapers, and online bloggers, if you will, who are very reputable, I say, shall say, is that no one seems to be focused upon the mental state of an eight-year-old. In fact, there seems to be a lot more emphasis on his activity and very little, if at all, on what may have motivated this 8-year-old child to act, and more importantly, whether this 8-year-old even understands the magnitude of ending the life of his 8-year-old, of his sister at the age of 8. And some of the things I would like to discuss when I return is comparing and contrasting the nation's attention to the murder and execution of a 9-year-old child, Tayshaun Lee, in Chicago, And that of an eight-year-old boy child in Alabama who is now accused of murder and evaluating the different extremes and whether or not one plays a critical role in how we as a nation, the other, will be back. Thank you for joining me. At the break, one of the things I wanted to be able to highlight for the purpose of this show is not to emphasize that we have an 8-year-old who allegedly committed the offense of murder, but whether or not this 8-year-old clearly understands his actions. And over the last couple of weeks, we have been inundated with, and rightfully so, the execution and assassination of a 9-year-old child in Chicago, Tayshaun Lee, at the age of 9. And when we evaluate those types of circumstances, it makes us call into question how on one end of the spectrum, America was outraged, appalled that a nine-year-old child could be executed. But in the same breath, in the same vein, we can turn around and possibly want to execute, if you will, and I say that subliminally, an eight-year-old child for purportedly killing his sister. Now, some of the background information that has currently been made available and substantiated is that at the time that this 8-year-old child purportedly killed his sister in Alabama, he was left home alone with other children all under the age of 12 to 14, that he was not being properly supervised, that there were no parents or adults in the home, and purportedly his mother had gone out dancing to a nightclub and left the children unattended. That in and of itself would have set the stage for me as a prosecutor or police officer to immediately surmise that this child should not be the subject of a delinquency proceeding or criminal proceedings for the offense of murder, but rather would be turned over to social services. As many of you know, I advocate so that we understand the difference between deprivation and delinquency. And so often there is such a blind line between the two that if we're not diligent and looking at and wanting to find, and that is always the critical issue, are we willing to look and find the comparison between the two and sometimes the contrasting issues between the two? If I'm an 8-year-old child and I'm left home unattended by supervision, And the wee hours of the evening with an infant child, that is neglect, it is maltreatment, it is mistreatment, it is deprivation. It is not delinquency. The outcome of this child being subject to that environment and those abuses, maltreatment. Maltreatment and mistreatment is the fact that but for those circumstances, but for being placed in that type of environment, but for being deprived, there would not have been a delinquent act. Who leaves an 8-year-old child to care for and mind an infant child? Why hasn't someone in Alabama, Department of Social Services, come forward to say this is not a delinquent issue. This is a deprivation issue. This child's services will best be met not in a detention center, where ultimately by the time he is 17 years of age, he'll probably be transferred to an adult facility dependent upon the outcome, but rather receiving treatment and rehabilitation. From day one, when we started this journey of juvenile justice, We've always said that the ultimate purpose was to restore restoration, treatment and rehabilitation from the days of in Chicago, which led the country, if you will, in juvenile justice and reform decades ago, to where we are today and the transformation that still has to occur to constantly bring us from this punitive measure that we've reached in this society. So that when we are given consideration to prosecuting an eight-year-old child in America for the murder of a one-year-old child, under these circumstances particularly, how did we get to that place? How did we get to that place that we did not immediately surmise this is not delinquency, this is deprivation, it is the outcome of a deprived child? How, therefore, do we provide him with mental health services because he himself... I am sure eight years of age, doesn't understand the magnitude of the act that he committed. I don't believe that he understands that death is final. There's no coming back from that. That child is gone. How do we expect an eight-year-old child to process that mentally, emotionally, or psychologically overseeing the affairs, or minding an infant child and not knowing how to respond to the needs of that child. The mere fact that he purportedly responded in the manner that he did to maybe beat the child into silence, not realizing he beat her to death, that in and of itself speaks to his mental state. The United States Supreme Court in this Roper's case clearly set a standard for the United States practices of giving juveniles life without parole. But what was unique about that case is the Justice's willingness, if you will, to not only accept the Amici briefs from the communities in the United States who provide programs and services to children, from a, uh, the psychologist to mental health providers who provide more therapy, if you will, and less medicinal uh, services to educators, to clinicians, to the law enforcement industry. But it was their willingness to allow for the international community to provide briefs and for them to cross-reference what the standards are in countries around the world and compare and contrast those standards and how they deal with children to that of how we in the quote-unquote free world, free society, modern society in America is dealing. And I think, for me at least, it was one of the first times that I read a case where our justices were basically saying the United States had it wrong. And Justice Ginsburg, writing for the court, made some very clear statements in her position as it pertained to some of the arguments and what she wrote for the court, let me say it that way. And because there were some others who gave some very clear interpretations of what we should be looking for. And I said all that to say this when I look at the standards that were set in that case, I question how states like Alabama are still willing to prosecute children as young as eight years old for murder. And I respectfully have to ask myself whether or not local governments and local Supreme Courts respect, embrace, or rely upon decisions made by the United States Supreme Court and I say that outside of the scope of this particular case because I am seeing more and more, particularly in the field of criminal justice, where from the days of writing um, of versus versus California and how to deal with traffic stops to just current cases presented by the Supreme Court, you look to the state courts and you're saying, well, the Supreme Court already wrote on this subject matter. Why are we revisiting this? Why are we having to revisit this? Even the recent Johnson case, wherein our Supreme Court had to revisit for the third time the issue of the three strikes legislation and how it had been used to sort of bring or pull in what they defined as additional violent offenses to meet that third strike, if you will, and them having to advise us that this is both arbitrary and discriminatory enforcement of the law. But this was their third time. I look at the case of R.S. Linda and the case that deals with private citizen warrants and the fact that our Supreme Court has ruled on that decision on three separate occasions already. And I'm compelled to ask respectfully, do we even respect the decisions of the United States Supreme Court anymore? Are they still necessary? When you even look at the recent decision on same-sex marriage and the decisions of local governments to literally defy the court's ruling, it's, again, do we respect? the decisions of the u.s supreme court do we even need the united states supreme court if we're going to operate on a state-by-state basis and so i said that to say this to bring us back full circle when an eight-year-old child in the united states of america post roper case could be prosecuted or arrested on the offense of murder we learned nothing From that brief, we learned nothing from the ruling in that decision. We've learned nothing as a society as to the mindset, mental, emotional, and psychological development of children. And it's although we have these organizations who are out here on the quote-unquote front line, so they say, in the field, giving us white paper and research, using millions of dollars in nonprofit monies so that we can turn around, and still have 8-year-old children in America charged with the offense of murder. We'll be back. Thank you for joining me on Sherry Speaks, Live with Sherry, as we discuss this special episode on Saturday morning regarding the 8-year-old child from Alabama, who has been charged with murdering or killing his eight infant sister, eight years old. What do you remember doing at the age of eight? Most kids in America today at the age of eight are in second grade. Most of them are still playing with Xbox videos. Most of them, if they're little girls, depending upon their communities, they're out jumping rope. They're playing with Barbie dolls and, and the houses. They're pre- in a pretentious Error, imaginary, and pretend. Not pretentious, excuse me, but imaginary and pretending to be other characters. They're personifying and taking on the life that they would like to have. And when I think of an 8-year-old who would be charged with murder, I look at it from two premises. One the fact that I know without ever having sat with this child that he at the time did not understand the magnitude of his offense. Two, I then question why if you're going to charge, which you should not, but just allow me to play angel's advocate as I call it, not devil's advocate, why not consider manslaughter? Why murder? Murder speaks to malice, intention, deprave. Those elements don't meet the an eight-year-old. Here you have an 8-year-old taking care of a child that is an infant. Again, playing angel's advocate. I don't want any child charged with murder. But the mindset of a prosecutor who would think to even charge him with all the other offenses, involuntary manslaughter, negligence, there are so many other criminal offenses But we're in this pro prosecutorial mentality. And when I think about justice reform and who's part of the equation, I look at many programs and services across the nation, and I am constrained to ask, where are the prosecutors at the table? And I think so often than not, no one wants to do the right thing because, in essence, at the end of the day, the question is this, what happens to my job if I don't have anyone else to prosecute? What happens to my job if I don't have anyone else to provide correctional services for? What happens to my job if I don't have a prison to maintain? And so there are so many variables that play into these decisions. But I would suspect that a police department and a prosecutor, even in a state like Alabama, would come to terms in recognizing, regardless of what the law might say on paper, you are still empowered to make the decision to say, I will not charge an 8-year-old child in my state with the offense of murder. I will immediately seek mental treatment, rehabilitation for this child, so that he can return to society one day as a productive child. I will not subject this child to restrictive Services. I will, in fact, see to it that he receives wraparound services. I will see to that. I will see to that. You are empowered, Mr. and Mrs. Prosecutor, to do that, not subject an eight year old child to murder. And this goes to the training or lack thereof of police in in America that even at that time to, quote, unquote, make the arrest or subject the child to an investigation, that the issue of deprivation should not have been a topic of discussion on the forefront to say all of the variables or elements that led to this purported death of this child leads to a case of deprivation. It leads to social welfare intervention. It leads to this child needing wraparound services. Why wasn't mother home? Why hasn't mother been charged? In any other segment of society, we as prosecutors, not me, but the, the legal profession, those who are prosecutors, find a way to always bring in a conspirator, an aider, or a better, a co-defendant. And here I've been reading and I'm saying, where along this line has mother been charged? would you not be that person that's equally responsible? Yes, I'm familiar with the new charges that were recently brought about, but I tend to think that the fact that she was charged after the fact, I think it was only as a result of pressure from community advocates who had spoken up and the media. I don't think if it had been examined properly from the beginning that that child would have ever been charged. Again, the Roper case sets the stage – for where this country was heading that if I stand to be corrected is a 2005 case so our court has spoke on that matter 10 years ago and here we are today here we are today and we still have to say to a state like Alabama that an 8 year old child should not cannot be charged be considered be subject to criminal charges for murder Eight years old? We no longer tolerate children in America. We, and that's part of America's shame, and that is the greatest indictment against America. We no longer treat children in America like children. We have failed the children in America, worse than any country like China, Cuba, and yet we are quick to hold all these other countries accountable and responsible for human rights violations, and yet our children don't have rights in this country. We say we're the voice of children, but many, and in many regards, we just play along with the program. I I listen to all of the commentary as it pertains to how to address different issues from Tayshaun Lee's murder and assassination and execution in Chicago to the murder charges against this 8-year-old, and I ask myself, what is all the research for? If we're just going to keep doing whatever it is we need to do, we just keep lining our pockets, right? Those of you who receive all these federal, state, public, and private funding, you just continue to line your pockets, and now I guess you'll have some research on how he should be treated as a child charged with murder as opposed to advocating against him being charged at all. I'm just one lone voice in this big conversation. But I always will do my best to make my voice heard. And I just feel it is a disgrace. It is America's shame that we are and we have not recognized the errors of our ways and that we have moved so much from reformatory rehabilitation and treatment to penalizing, and yet while we have these conversations of mass incarceration and reentry, it appears to me that we're doing more and more every single day to find reasons, ways to incarcerate, to make the arrest, to attach these collateral consequences. It amazes me that Alabama will say, because of the age of this child, we're not able to show you his face or give you his name. But in the same breath, in the same token, we can charge him. And he's still that same eight-year-old who would not otherwise qualify to have his name or his photo displayed publicly. But I can still charge you. It's like states around the country that at 16 and 17, you're an adult, but you're not old enough to vote, but you are old enough to be charged with a crime, but you're not old enough to vote. You 16 and 17 years of age, you are old enough to be charged as an adult for purposes of criminalization, but you're not old enough to vote, enter into contract, participate in the armed services, but I can charge you as an adult in many jurisdictions in this country, teen and 17 years of age. You are an adult for that purpose and that purpose only. I have been saying for a decade now, even in the proposal that I have written, and was more than a decade, but a decade since I did the publication, that we need to change the age to 21 in some jurisdictions and 25 necessarily. No one wants to do that. How do we speak reform reentry? I would like any person who's honest with him or herself, who is 25, 35, or 45, or 55, to reflect back 10 years of your life and say at 55. I did this, and I'm now 65, and I would have never done that. At 35, I did this, and if I have to look back, I would have never done that. There are so many of us who can go back over things we've done in our life, past judgments, misjudgments. And so for an 8-year-old, we don't even give him the benefit of the doubt. We've made the decision. And here's the thing, even now, if they were to say we're not going to charge him, even now, because his life matters, right? There's been no protest. How do we charge this 8-year-old? Even now, the scars are already there, and I'm more concerned that prior to even getting this young child counseling to understand the magnitude of the murder of his sister, the killing of his sister would be more of an appropriate word than murder, excuse me, he's charged with murder, that he didn't even get counseling. Did anyone even sit him down to give him any type of mental counseling and services? Do we even understand his competency level? And most jurisdictions, when you're seven years of age, that's the first thing that we attempt to do, even when we present you as a victim in trial, is to understand your level of competency. And so the flip side of that is, and we do this for many adults, is what is his mental state? Men's rea, there has to be an intent. Actus reus, men's reus. Remember, these were things we learned generically as we pursue these JD degrees. And so it always went to causation and intent. Does an eight year old understand that when he's trying to silence an infant child? And there's no adult supervision in the home. And God only knows what other type of deprivation this child and these children were subject to. Does he even understand that maybe a simple hit to that little child's face or head could in fact kill her, murder her? There are adults who do not understand their strength. There are spouses who are married and a spouse may haul off and knock the heck out of one spouse and then look and say, my God, what did I do? But be in a position to think that they can make the necessary changes and be apologetic for it. Here what we say to this child is one strike, that's it. We're not even going to look to the who, what, when, where, and why. We're not going to attempt to find a correlation between deprivation and delinquency. No more than America is willing to examine a poverty-to-prison pipeline, a sexual abuse-to-prison pipeline, aka prostitution to abuse pipeline no one's willing to look at the school to prison pipeline for almost 20 years organizations have been subject to federal state public and private funding to produce white paper but your white paper your research means nothing at the end of the day if it's not attainable if it's not usable and if people aren't benefiting from it and if 10 to 20 years later, the same cause and effect is transpiring, then there needs to be something said about the monies and how they're directed, and maybe they need to be diverted to other programs and service providers. For those who are making a living off of producing white paper at the expense of private sectors giving funding to do it, you have a responsibility here to be on the front line to address an 8-year-old child in America being charged with murder. Thank you for joining me on Live with Sherry. As we discuss today's episode, I should have entitled this America's Shame, the greatest indictment against America. It's its failure to give rights to children. Thank you. Have a blessed day and have a blessed weekend.